This is Music Respawn. I'm Kate Remington catching up with McLean Deemer. It's great to have a chance to talk again. Yes, it's great to talk to you again. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to talk with you about the soundtrack you created for the newest game from Cyan World's Firmament. It's just, it's incredible. And it really has the DNA of Mist and Riven. And your music is just like such a perfect fit. It must have been an amazing project to work on. Truly, you know, it was a dream come true uh, on so many levels. But early, early on in our kind of initial meetings, I kept just constantly fanboying about Mist. Uh, uh, Riven is sort of I, I've played, but Mist was this sort of is like a Mount is a Mount Rushmore game for me, and and it's one of those ones that I've bought and rebought and re rebought every time they've reissued it, or I get a new system and I want to try it again, um, because uh, you know. The age I am, it was like, I just remember uh, seeing ads for it everywhere in comic books and mag, all the stuff I was reading as a kid and being like, what is this mist thing? And then my my parents finally got a, a personal computer, as many families did in the 90s. And, and okay, you've got this CD-ROM drive. We've all heard about multimedia and CD-ROM technology and all that stuff. So what do you do with it? Uh, and Mist was just the kind of the default option for so many years. And and if you're kind of the right age to have lived through that, it, it was just inescapable. Even if you're not, even if you didn't consider yourself a gamer then or even now, it's one of those ones that transcended the the medium into becoming kind of a cultural moment. And for me, it was that. And so I, uh, you know, I would just every meeting I was like, yeah, it's got this, it's missed that, and I want to make it sound a little bit like this, and. And then by the third meeting, fourth meeting, I was like, okay, this will be the last time, but I prom and I promise I won't make every meeting about a game that you made 30 years ago. We'll talk about the new one. But yeah, it was uh, it, it was one of those things where if I could go back and, you know, pinch 12-year-old me uh, or, you know, tell 12-year-old me that this was this was what you'll be working on someday, that, that would be a real kind of, uh, I don't know, a jaw-dropping moment for young McLean. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I had kind of stepped away from games for a while, and then my son came home, and he'd been playing Myst at a friend's house, and we got a Bondi iMac, and so it was like my first like reintroduction to, to games again, and I got so hooked and so sucked into it. So yeah, I can totally appreciate you know, what it was like. And uh, the first time I saw Firmament, I think was at GDC in 2018, they were doing a demo, a VR demo, and it was my first experience with VR too. And it was the the little vertical slice that they brought was from uh, the, the glacier really cold place. And I just couldn't wait to see more and find out more. And how how far along was the game when they brought you in to write the score? Uh, yeah, so that, that first vertical slice and, and the initial Kickstarter campaign around it, which was about that time, I, I wasn't involved with, right? I, 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 I actually thought that Cyan had kind of disappeared after they'd run out of steam, you know, uh, missed, I think, three and four. Some of the sequels were done by Ubisoft, and they went off and tried to make an MMO version of Mist, and it, it just didn't quite pan out. So I thought they'd kind of unfortunately gone the way that many studios do over time. Um, and when they came back with Abduction, which was like 2013 or something, 2012, I remember being like, oh my gosh, they're still around. And look, they're making games like the ones that I like from back then. Uh, so I supported them and I followed them on that campaign. Um, and I was always kind of keeping up with what they were doing. 
So when they launched the Firmament campaign, it was just a no-brainer. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll throw you some money because I want to see. I want I want more of these games to exist. I love the fact that you're still around and not chasing after zeitgeists, you know, or flavor of the week type of gameplay. It's like you do this thing, you do it really well, and the people that love that want you to keep making that. So I was just sort of uh, involved purely from a fan standpoint. And then... After maybe a year or so, they they were sending out periodic updates on the production process, and maybe the third or fourth update, they said, I should say the campaign launched with another composer attached, and I thought, great, it was you know somebody who I knew and and respected, and I thought the music would be great, um, and then maybe a year after the campaign uh, was fully funded, they sent out an update that said, uh, unfortunately, we can't, we'll know, you know, we're we're not going to work with this person. I, I forget exactly what the details were, but it said. You know they have to move on, and, and we wish them the best. Um, and and at that moment, I've never had any success doing this. I have had friends that had like troll Kickstarter and reach out to them and say, "Do you need help with music or sound design or whatever?" Which has become its own form of a meme in the game audio community. <laughs> of there's an acronym uh, that's that sounds like Dynac D Y N A C, and it stands for "Do you need a composer?" And it's like. <laughs> It's it's such a joke that you know we're so these hungry sort of thirsty people that we're constantly reaching out maybe in situations where it's not appropriate. So I've never had any luck doing that, but I thought hmm maybe this is maybe this is the opportunity. So I I started to kind of search around uh, on on LinkedIn of all places to see who do I need to reach out to to maybe pitch myself right. Um, and I found uh, the profile. You know I I know that. Rand Miller, who's one of the original founders of the two Miller brothers, Rand is still there and still overseeing games and creative decisions. But I think he's uh, sort of, you know, think, thinking about stepping back. And so on Firmament, uh, a, the longtime art director there, a guy by the name of Eric A. Anderson, who has been there since the Riven days, I think he left for a little bit to go work on The Witness with Jonathan Blow, which is obviously has some missed DNA to it. Um and then since came back to work on, on Firmament. So he was now both the art director and kind of creative director. And I thought, I think this is the person I need to hit up. So I sent him a totally cold email and said, blah, blah, blah. I'm a huge Mist fan, all this stuff. And I put together some music that I thought would be a good, maybe a good fit. They, I, I hadn't heard anything. I don't know if there even was any music in that vertical slice. But I, uh, I just was like, I know kind of what their vibe is. You know, so here's, some, here's five tracks that I think are maybe in that vein.
And, you know, normally, again, I don't have luck with cold emails or cold calling like that. And, and especially asking someone to listen to music. It's a big ask. Uh, and people try to hit me up all the time. And for various reasons, I have to kind of gently turn them down. So um, I didn't expect much. But he was very gracious. He he listened and he got back to me and he said, hey, you know, I hadn't even we, we don't have a, a, a new person lined up. I hadn't even had a chance to think about it because I'm putting out all these other fires over here. Um, but this music you sent is actually great. It's, it's very close to what I had in, envisioned for the game. And so let's talk eventually, because for now, we've decided to put the development of Firmament on the back burner while we work on the VR remake of Mist. And I thought, okay, well, that's a good answer. I, I can accept that. And then it was maybe another year. Uh, I, I checked in a couple times, and he was very, again, very gently say, I'm, I promise you that I'm not trying to give you the, the, the brush off here, but we, are, we have to get this missed VR thing out the door before we can talk about Firmament, and, and I'll be in touch. So then I just stopped checking in for a while. Um, and then earlier, at the beginning of last year, he sent me an email and said, hey, re remember me? Uh, it's time to talk about the music for Firmament, so let's talk. Um, and that was how I got involved. It was really just, I don't know, it was it was luck and seizing the moment and all that kind of stuff. But I'm extremely grateful to them and Eric uh, for bringing me on because it really was a joy to work on. Oh, I can imagine. I, well, what was your, what did the music sound like originally? What was your your pitch music to them that you think kind of piqued their interest? Um, there was, there was a couple, you know, I, I was like, okay, it's gotta be dark. It's gotta be moody. It has to be very textural. You know, um, when I think about the music of mist, um, the first thing that comes to mind is those pizzicato strings. It's just, you know, it's like such a key, key characteristic, but it's not jaunty and cartoonish in a way that that type of sound usually is done. It's the, the way the harmony is and the way the things it's surrounded by are very much about creating a sense of of unease and mystery right that that's what i loved about that game is that the more you play it you just start to think well why is there a giant building shaped like a gear here and why is there a ship that's half sunk and then here's a model of that ship in a, in a fountain and you know and as it all starts to kind of come together uh, you know it truly it's like a good book where you don't you don't even know what's happening until the last hour that you're playing that game uh and that's something that i just that that vague emotional soup of mystery and uncertainty and and anxiety you know i just thought that's the dna of 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 cyan's music from from what i recall or let that, that's what it made me feel so it was less about copying that sound because i knew that firmament was not a missed game it's not doesn't take place in that world or timeline or any of that stuff but cyan makes a very specific type of game and so i thought i have to kind of see what i've got in the can that captures that same emotion so it was very sparse and very textural um and you know a lot of synthesizer stuff or heavily processed acoustic elements and and um there was a track that that eric kind of latched onto uh initially that was it's actually for a project that it's a personal project with a friend of mine who it probably will never the, it was for a game that we were kind of making and then he got really busy and i got really busy he now is like the creative director at sucker punch and so this is sort of low on the totem pole in terms of what's whether it's going to see the light of day but i've got a lot of music written for it that i'm very proud of um and someday i'd like to finish it and put it out as an, as an ep or something like that but i sent him the the initial track from that and it's it's sort of you know the stories doesn't matter but it's but it's evoking that same sense of like you're uncovering a mystery you're out in the, in nature 
you see a fox, you know, on a, on a hill and then you, you make eye contact with it and it turns around and runs into the woods, you know, so then you, that's the start of your adventure. And it had this very, very spacious uh, kind of, you know, sound palette and um, a little bit of like, distortion's not the right word, but just pushed, like saturated, like pushed a little bit with the synthesizer so that it, it just has a little bit of grit to it. And that was what he latched onto. So that was that was kind of the first sort of compass that that pointed a, us in the right direction. Um, and then I wrote like four before I'd even seen any of the game. I'd gotten the full rundown of the story, saw some concept art, and uh, and then wrote four um, kind of just concept pieces of music, not attached to anything. And three of those are in the game. Um, and one of them is like one of the first things you hear. It's it's not the first track on the soundtrack, which is actually the last thing you hear in the over the end credits. It's the the second track on the soundtrack, is is like the first thing I sent to them, and they said, "Yep, this is it. Let's this is the direction we want to go in." It's just, it's such a great fit. And I've got in my notes here, describe Firmament <laughs> for me. I mean, it's just, it's such an amazing game. And it, it does have that, you know, Mist and Riven legacy where you you arrive in this world, you've been woken up, and you really have no idea who you are or what your purpose is or what your adventure is going to be. And you do have a companion. There's a, a woman who's kind of ghostly presence, um, kind of in between waking and sleeping life and death um and she gives you little hints about what's been going on in this world but there's not a lot there and you really have to you know use your wits to solve puzzles and so it's in that way it it really does have the the same you can tell the same studio made it um sure sure a, a really amazing adventure so yeah, what is this is the this is the hard part is what is firmament and I, I want to tell you all about it, but I don't want to spoil it because you know I I want people who are playing it to to fully you know be enveloped in the mystery of it. Um, but as you said, yeah, you wake up in kind of a mysterious circumstance alone, much like uh, much like Mister Riven, you, and then you, 
um, you have to kind of go around solving these environmental puzzles and, and you, you kind of uncover a lot of what look like ancient's not the right word, but abandoned uh, industrial sort of structures that are that are scattered all around the world um, and use you know use those mechanisms and this thing you have called the adjunct, which is like a little, uh, attachment on your hand that that you use to control certain things in the world, you know, to to progress through the level, solve these puzzles, um, and get to the end. And then there's I this I don't think this is a spoiler, but there are three sort of major biomes that you have to progress through, um, and then it's only at the very very end that you figure out what connects them all and why you're being kind of guided by this ghostly. Uh, uh, present like electromechanical sort of presence that that is giving you advice. Um, that's as much as I want to say uh, because because anything else would truly spoil something. And and I know that more so than even, maybe even most people, uh, cyan fans don't want spoil. I, I I was I was sort of checking in on the cyan Discord as as the hype machine was rolling out for the game, and there were people that wouldn't even watch the trailer, which truly truly gives away nothing. Maybe gives away the environments you're going to 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 spend some time in, but in little snippets. But there are people that are like, I'm not even going to watch this trailer until I've beaten the game. And I'm like, wow, that's dedication. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, like I said, they, they, it's gorgeous. It's a typical cyan, you know, hyper realistic um, settings with this incredible glacier area, Curie Vale, which is very cold. And then there's um, the uh, the area of uh, Juliston. And there's a reason why these are all named like that, but we won't go into that. Um, that has like a sulfur reservoir kind of thing. And then there's a beautiful, beautiful greenhouse and um, kind of lush, jungly kind of place uh, called St. Andrew. And so how, this is a big question, but how did you kind of define these areas with your music? How how did you give them each kind of an identity? Yeah, so that was... Uh, that was one of the easier things. I mean, in relative terms, once we kind of dialed in the the overall feel. Um, but it started with the glacier stuff because that was the most uh, complete in terms of production and visuals and all that. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's seems it's so simple, but like, okay, you're in a glacier. The music should feel cold. Right? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's sort of the very basics. Um, but what I what I Again, without trying to spoil anything, I, I'm 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 I've been obsessed with this idea of for the last better part of the last decade in my music outside of what most people know me for, which is Guild Wars, um, Guild Wars Two. Uh, this idea when I'm making electronic music or things that are kind of ambient textural, this idea of signals that are passing through space and time, and, and what happens not just when you send them, but when you're on the receiving end. And so I think a lot about. Um, the gold record that was sent up with the Voyager uh, satellite, right? Which is so funny to me that it's it's like a record is the thing that we sent out to the aliens. Um, but for people that don't know, on the Voyager satellite in the 70s, which was sent out into space purposely to just keep going forever and is still actually sending us signals back, I think maybe five, 10 years ago, it finally exited what we think, we think it exited the actual uh, solar system, like it's beyond Pluto and is out there doing things. Um, so on it is this gold record, which has voice recordings, you know, famous speeches and poems. Um, it has pre-digital sort of encoded versions of what um, what human beings look like. 
um, how we how our biome works with the sun and and the earth and all, all this sort of interesting. And it also has like a, I think maybe Bach on it and and uh, and Chuck Berry, which I also think is very funny that rock and roll is out there in, in the yeah in the, yeah. There's a there's there a, the a late Beethoven string quartet too. Yes. So. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, and I just I think I think that's so cool, and and it's it's it was you know, the pressed on gold so that it would not you know corrode and it was just like when, whoever receives it when and if that happens it's in perfect shape as it was in 1970 whatever, but what if it wasn't right? What if it was what if it was sent out on tape or what if it was sent as a radio signal and it just it continued to degrade over hundreds thousands millions of years and then you receive it and you and you have to figure out like what's going on that's what i wanted the music to sound like um and that does sort of tie into the story that's as that's as much as i'll say not the voyager thing but this idea of signals uh through space and time and so you know the so beyond just writing cold music for a glacier i thought you know it has to feel like it belongs in the environment and belongs in the setting of the environment uh, that, that you find yourself in so you know, everything is kind of heavily distorted and warped a little bit. Um, I tried to actually do almost as much of the uh, score with hardware, so hardware synthesizers and hardware effects processing to just run it through things that that would give it, um, you know, an extra layer of, of, of grit that all sort of builds up to, you know, I, I wasn't afraid of hiss or distortion or wobbling or just anything, any sort of artifacts that would that would get introduced as I was running it through all this various... Uh, stuff. Um, I, I wanted that, and I wanted to bring that to the forefront. And then the sort of final key part of it was uh, this instrument I have over here on the wall. So it looks like a guitar. Yeah, my studio is a mess, so I almost <laughs> killed, killed myself trying to get this off the wall. So this is, um, it's a thing called, a, it's it's called a, a Fender 6. Uh, this is made by Squire, which is sort of the budget line that Fender makes, but but um, the, the original version, this was introduced in the 60s, the late 60s. It looks like a guitar, but it's oversized. So it's actually a bass, but it has six strings. It's The strings are tuned an octave below a, gu a guitar, just like a bass, but instead of having four or five strings, it has six. And you can kind of play chords on it, but they sound a little mushy. The idea is it's like a bass for people who don't play bass. Uh, uh, and you can play it with a pick, and it's sort of most famously used in... Um, if you watch any of the footage from the Let It Be sessions, which now that there's there's much more of that out there with the Get Back documentary on Disney Plus, but if if you watch, um, it's really hard to find because they're very controlling about this. But they they did release a video. The Beatles released a video for uh, the Long and Winding Road, and you can sort of very famously see John Lennon playing it. Anytime Paul was playing piano on those sessions, and they were trying to track it live, either John or George was playing that instrument, and then also Robert Smith from The Cure also very famously played that in their sort of heyday. So it's a really cool instrument and and it, it buzzes and, and you can you don't have to just play it like a bass. You can't really play full on chords, but you can play a little plunky things on it. And uh, and it and it sort of buzzes against the frets and things and it's it's you know it's a it's an interesting sound. So I so I threw some of that on there and a ton of effects and things and and Eric immediately resonated with that and he said he's like whatever that sound is that's to me the sound of at least the sort of glacier area because it sounds like music being made on high tension wires and, and I thought oh the great that's like a great visual image that I can sort of then continue to flesh out this map with that in mind the idea that it's it's not necessarily physically playing it but like let's say you're standing on a cliff and you see some crazy structure in the distance and the wind starts blowing what's the music music quote unquote that would be you know as that would result from 
the wind whistling through a canyon and then hitting some some broken high tension wires that are slapping against the steel structure or whatever. That's kind of what the feeling I was trying to capture. That's astonishing because he really did. And I, I was trying to identify what that instrument was. I thought, well, maybe you were just plucking the strings inside a piano to get that same kind of harsh, sparky, raspy sound. But it's great to see the instrument that you use. That is really cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm a guitar player by nature, I should say. I'm not a very good piano player. Um, and and uh, and I don't get an opportunity to do it that much. So you know, I have all these cool things that this this soundtrack was all about getting to use the toys that I that I own, but don't get to use as much as I would like. And then so uh, I'll just sort of quickly run through the other two maps if, because they are different. So the second map, which is uh, Julston, uh, that one, yeah, like you said, it has these giant sulfur pools. That uh, again, uh, uh, this is like a very mild spoiler, but those those act as giant batteries. That's the that's the idea. But they they're sort of now long defunct, and the the sulfur is kind of corroding the metallic structures that are extracting the power from them. And I thought, all right, well, I love this idea of 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 decay, right? And so so again, we, if if they're batteries, that means there's a an electricity element to this. So let's ramp up that buzzy distortedness even even more. And I think there was a couple points where I sort of hit the ceiling. I'm like, is this too distorted and weird and nasty? And they're like, uh, no, but don't take it any further than that, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that was the idea with that one was to, was to make it feel like, uh, you know, like you're licking a battery, like you're just like, or, 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 or when you touch something that, that isn't grounded properly and it doesn't, it doesn't hurt, but the, the shock is sort of undeniable. It's like, what would that feel like over your whole body as you're passing through this physical space? Like if the scale was just sort of blown up to an enormous size. 
was that that was you know my intention on that on that map and instability i, I really like that idea of instability like intentional instability And then for the third area, uh, which was uh, St. Andrews, so like you said, it's, it's very lush. It's very calm compared to the first two. Pastoral, you know, it has these beautiful greenhouses and, and atriums and things. So they specifically said we want that to feel warm and, and much more, you know, uh, inviting than the previous two areas. So that one was almost, ex- even though, you know, it's warm but i it's all with this one synthesizer which is very funny because it's artificially produced uh sound but um you know i i i dialed up some kind of warmer settings if you want to call them that on on the synth and then made it so that the um most of the interval relationships in, in all that music is very open like fourths and fifths and things like that so that it has this kind of like nice resonance to it without being you know, too far in the like happy direction with a major chord or like sad with with a minor chord. Or th- there's really no tension. And the good thing about fourths and fifths is that you can kind of just stack them in any order you want because they're so undefined as a, as a in a harmonic sense that they kind of just all work together. So I like that idea that it's. I, I thought of it as a musical hug, and and you know, so you're enveloped by these fourths and fifths that all kind of stack and and. But the but because they don't sort of resolve or have the kind of traditional Western musical structure, there's still a little bit of uncertainty without it feeling like tense or anxiety-inducing or, or fearful, right? It's not horror music.
Yeah, well, I mean, the the cool thing about these games is you're not going to run into any enemies. There's no combat. So it's just you using your brain and exploring. So that's yeah. that's a great feeling that you've created for, for St. Andrew. And like the other, you know, Cyan games, the music's not wallpaper. It just appears mm-hmm. in some really key moments. And one of those moments is when you finally solve the puzzle to raise the spire which mm-hmm. is like a really key thing and I, I don't want to spoil anything but it was it was really <laughs> magical because of the music that you provided and so um maybe talk about the feeling that you wanted to wanted people to have when they when they heard that and raised up the spire sure so the spire that's one of my favorite tracks actually um that one uses that the fender six quite a bit um but it's it's like i think i this is my my poor sort of mix engineer had to had to sort all this out because when I'm I every single track on this uh, soundtrack I started with a blank session there was usually with Guild Wars two stuff it's easier to do this with orchestral things or if you're working at a you know on a TV show or something that requires you to crank out a lot of music you have a template so that you just this is the sound that we're working with and I you know everything's there in front of me and I'm not going to deviate from this because I don't have time this one I had the luxury of time on which is why I was using a lot of hardware not something that that makes the process faster i should say um and uh so even when i was playing instruments i would like double track them triple track them quadruple track them i I think there's four tracks of me playing there might even be five that same sort of plucked string part on that um and they're each doing some they're each process differently so in addition to having those little micro variations of performance that happen when you double and triple and quadruple track things you know, one track is like, this is the bass, so all, all the frequencies above a certain range are completely lopped off, and then the bass is like hyper-exaggerated. One of them is like, pan, you know, is like only the treble stuff, but it's panned a little bit to the left. So you, so you get that sense of, like I said, music being made on high-tension wires, uh, and, and not just one, like, it's like you're fully surrounded in this sort of stereo spectrum. So you've got the bass kind of grounding things and then you're hearing things coming from the left and the right and there's all these delays that are bouncing things around so it's like you're hearing it kind of echoing around a canyon or something like that um and uh and yeah i just wanted it to feel you know there's a, a little bit of a motif but it's really just about the awe inspiring it's like how can i create awe because when you when you raise this spire up it's huge right and and uh and and strange you know construction and all this sort of stuff and even though it's it comes at the end of a puzzle, it 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 creates more questions than it answers until you get to the very end. And so the music had to do the, the same thing. Um, and that's that was one of my favorite tracks to work on.
the thing that makes it really work also is that you know you you it don't hear it all the time the music isn't going just the whole time as i said but it's it's such a, a key moment and it's just really really great and the other um kind of aspect with this is the contrast between the you know the, the outside of these worlds the, the glaciers mm-hmm. and the walking around where the, where the sulfur pools are and then the conservatories or the atriums but then there's this like well kind of a dark industrial underbelly to kind of mm-hmm. keep everything going and so it must have been fun to have that contrast to kind of play with yeah there was a there's a couple tracks on there that are just kind of straight up noise um in fact, there's one track. I think it's in uh, it's in Julston, so in the sulfurish area. But it was um, it was a recording, and and if the lawyers are listening, I have rights to this recording because I recorded it on my own equipment. And it's me playing it. But there was a, a field trip that when I was working physically at, at ArenaNet, when I was kind of on staff there, we took a trip. They're located in Seattle or just outside of Seattle, and uh, a few hours kind of deep into the um, peninsula there up there in Washington. Um, there's uh, an abandoned nuclear power plant called SATSOP, S-A-T-S-O-P, which I, f- I forget what it stands for. Um, but they built it in the 70s, and I think it was maybe after, shortly after, or close enough to the Three Mile Island incident, for people who remember that or want to go look it up, which caused this huge, you know, it seemed like nuclear was becoming this amazing solution to powering the country. This horrible thing happens, or there was a little bit of a scare, and now nobody wants to do nuclear. So they built this power plant. And then Three Mile Island happened, and they're like, well, we're abandoning it. So it's never been used. Um, it's it's pretty wild. And I think a lot of uh, – because there's so much game development that happens in the Pacific Northwest, often um, art teams will go there to use it as reference. So they'll take photographs. They'll, they'll sketch and stuff like that. But you can basically – there's like a little skeleton operation that manages the plant because I think it would be too expensive to tear it down. I don't know why it's still there, honestly. But uh, – you pay them like a nominal fee and there's a guy that walks around with a key and unlocks all these doors and you sign a waiver and he says, you know, have fun. Just don't <laughs> fall off anything or get tetanus or, you know, whatever. But it's truly, it's like the last of us. Like it's like walking around this completely abandoned industrial structure. So one of the things that we did there was there's this, I forget what the purpose of it was originally, some sort of cooling or ventilation thing, but underground there was this enormous concrete tunnel that I've never been in a place that's f- like physically more dark in my life to the point where like you shine a, f- you, you know, a mag light, like you have a super bright flashlight and it's like, it just, this tunnel is so long and there's no light whatsoever. And the, the surface of it is not reflective in any way. So it just like a fully absorbs light. And you would like, you could stick your hand out in front of your face and wouldn't be able to see it. It was like, it was very, dis- very disconcerting. Um, and so we recorded a bunch of sounds. Like we, we brought a PA system. We did what's called impulse, getting an impulse response, which is a way to kind of, uh, you play a sine wave, you sweep it from the lowest frequency to the highest frequency, and you take that information and then you can kind of create a, a reverb recreation of that physical space in software later on. So we did that. And I remember when we were recording, I was standing in the tunnel. And again, I've never experienced this before where you can physically feel sound moving. You could feel the sound going down the tunnel, which I forget, it's like a quarter mile long. And then it would hit whatever was on the other end and then come back. And you, it's like you you could visually see it. I mean, even though it's pitch black, you know, it's such that like you, you could you could spatialize it and and feel it going and feel it coming back, which is insane. So that was uh, you know, 
uh, in addition to doing that, the part that made it into Firmament is uh, we had a guitar amp and, and a guitar, and we did kind of like a, a Back to the Future sort of thing where it was like we set it up in the tunnel, and then I just had it had a whammy bar, and I was just doing all my old Eddie Van Halen tricks and just getting all sorts of crazy noises and recording the result of that. So in one of the tracks that's in that plays in Juleston, it's it's just that. So it's like it's musical, but it's it's kind of industrial. And to me, it really captured the essence of that. Like literally, we were underground recording in an industrial space to get that. And I thought, well, if there's ever a perfect scenario to, to use it, and it's this game because you know this is kind of. Uh, almost like a a virtual version of of what we've done in real life. So yeah, I, I for me, you know, I try not to be too eggheaded. Sometimes you just have to get to the end of a track. But I love I actually love having those little ideas that say, you know, whether the result is I just need to finish this or here's this crazy thing I did ten years ago and now is the perfect time to use it because it's like a one to one translation of the scenario. I love having those ways in. I I need that. You know, I I need to kind of have a creative way into something like this. What's really cool about that, the story and the whole experience is even though the end result is electronic and it's maybe hard to kind of settle on what that sound is or how you created that sound, it does have a kind of a handcrafted feel because it came from a real place, which is just yeah. really cool. 
Yeah, and that was and I, I was you know explain that to people where I'd say I, I did this all with hardware and and like I said you know there's not a ton of acoustic stuff on there by the nature of the game but it, but it's all very physical and there are times where you know I'm playing it and and even though it's a synthesizer maybe it's a vintage synthesizer that was you know doesn't have MIDI so I can't control it from my computer and if I don't get it right if I don't get the performance right then you just hit stop, you hit undo, and you try it again until you get it right. And so it, it might have this sort of mechanical nature, but these the little imperfections that are built in, uh, and it gets it, to me, it, it gets it 10%, 20% further than it would if I did it all with software and plugins in the box and and you know made it nice and easy and fast for myself. It just it forced me to push myself creatively in, in a way that I don't think it would have happened if I'd just done it on a laptop, you know, at home or something. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean you had a really neat little video that you posted on Twitter of uh, a synth that I think was the same one that Robin used for his music for Mist. And yes. so how did you incorporate that at all oh yeah in fact that's this uh, that's this thing right here right behind me uh not hooked up at the moment but i, I need to clean my studio up it's kind of a disaster <laughs> here at the moment so again when i signed on to the project i just did a ton of research you know anything i could find where robin or rand were talking about their philosophy because i know that the studio you know they see themselves as carrying on this vision that the two of them started back when they first were making games in the early 80s or mid 80s and I just thought they're not asking me to do this, but I feel like I need to do this. And it needs to have some like missed DNA in it because emotionally, spiritually, sometimes literally, that it it, perva it it's pervasive in everything they do. Um, and and the people that play the games, you know, they might be. It's it, you know, it, in game development, we talk sometimes about people that only play Call of Duty or only play Madden or only play FIFA. They buy like one game a year and sells ten or GTA whatever whatever number Grand Theft Auto. But it's like, you know, those games still make billions of dollars. So there is there's a huge market of people that only play one type of game that are not hardcore dedicated gamers that play everything. And Cyan doesn't have the numbers that FIFA or or GTA do, but they still have this dedicated group of players that that play Mist, played Riven, played all the sequels, played Abduction, and haven't played anything else, right? That's just their one type of game they like. So I wanted to have something in there to carry that legacy on. So I found an interview, like a lecture that 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 Robin gave at GDC, maybe eight or nine years ago, a, a post mortem on on Mist, and then in it he talks about the music, and he said originally that there wasn't they they didn't want to have any music in it, um, and they played it, and you know as it was developing they were playing it, and and they realized well that's a mistake, but we're so far along that I'm like what do I do? So he so he had this keyboard because he's a musician in addition to being an artist, it was just he had it lying around. He literally wrote everything on that one keyboard, including any effects, anything, and he did it in two weeks. I'm like, man, imagine imagine doing something so genre defining uh, that that is part of your legacy in two weeks. And part, you know, I tried to take a lesson from that of like, don't be so precious about things. You know, you don't have to spend a decade on your masterwork. Just like keep working, and the good things will come out, even if bad things come out too. But I I made it my mission. I'm like, I got to find that keyboard because I got to use it on firmament. And it was harder. It was harder than I thought it would be. There's there's rack mount versions of it. I'll, I'll try not to bore you with my search, but there's 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 rack mount versions that are maybe eighty or they have eighty or ninety percent of the sounds. But this keyboard is kind of like there's certain things it does and certain patches it has that that only exist on that. Um, and I finally was able to track one down in the greater Los Angeles area, 
for a pretty good deal. I mean, for a few hundred bucks, it's like, it's not a desirable model in any way, shape or form. And the guy who I bought it from definitely had, didn't play mist, had no idea. What, I didn't even bring that up, but I could just <laughs> tell that he was like, that's not why he had it. And I brought it back to my studio and I started just cycling through the patches. Uh, and I have, you know, in my notes here, this, this thing is, I, I need to digitize this cause this is like the treasure map to the entire soundtrack. It has patches, it has synthesizer settings. You know, this is the downside of hardware and why nobody does it this way anymore is you got to write all this stuff down. Well, it's, it's like the notebooks we all wrote into for solving the puzzles in Mist and Ribbon. So <laughs> yeah, so in, in a way, it sort of makes sense. It's it's fitting that I, that this is how I you know have to remember the soundtrack. But I, I have a couple pages in here of just patches that I thought would work well for Firmament, and you know some of them next in in parentheses. It'll I'll write next to it, I'll just write Mist, you know, because. It's like because he was doing it in two weeks and just had to get through it. There's nothing fancy going on. There's certain sounds that as soon as you bring them up, you're like, oh, that's that sound. It's like a preset, uh, you know, and it went straight into the game. So now, again, because Firmament is not a missed game, I didn't want it to be. I did. I didn't want it to be obvious, and it's not through every track. It's it's only maybe four or five, but you know, there are moments that have very important and very recognizable missed sounds that have been mangled beyond all recognition. And I think once the dust settles a little bit more on the release, I'll probably do a, a reveal. But I will say that um, one of the first things you hear in the game is an extreme extrapolation of those famous uh, plucks, uh, you know, the famous pizzicato strings. It's in there. And, and once I point it out, you know, people will recognize it if nobody has yet, I don't think. Yeah, well, I I don't know because there have been a, you know the first time I listened to the soundtrack I was like, did I really just hear that? Because those sounds in Mist are so identifiable. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah it, so, it took a lot of work to to disguise them. I would like stretch them and reverse them and and bury them in effects. I'm like, I can still hear it. I I, I got to go further. But then I I didn't want it to be so. I wanted it to be just on the edge of recognizable. Um, and I, I'm I'm hoping that at least one or two of them people will pick up on.
yeah, well, mission accomplished. It's, it's, <laughs> it's kind of like a, you know, an extra layer of, of mystery, an extra puzzle to solve, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It just, it just seemed appropriate. And it was fun. It was fun for me to do. Yeah, I bet. I have like kind of musical whiplash here because the last time we talked was about your soundtrack for Guild Wars 2 and mm-hmm. how you source traditional Korean instruments and really created an authentic sound for that. And this soundtrack is so incredibly different. And so I'm wondering how, first of all, I, I, I'm astonished that you could create two things that are so, so different. Mm. How how do you do that? <laughs> well, you know, thank you for saying that. And, and yeah, I think that... Uh, I, I agree. It, it's very different, and that and that was one of the reasons I was really excited about the project. You know, I, what I've learned now that I've had this career for a while, and I had a sort of previous life as, as being in bands and trying to be a rock star, and and I've got a little bit more diversity of projects and sounds that are out there that with my name attached to them, is you start to learn how people perceive you, um, and or don't perceive you. Right? There's 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 a huge chunk of people that play Firmament, uh, and play Cyan games that didn't know who I was when they announced me uh, as part of the, one of the Kickstarter updates. And then they would like Google me and say, Oh yeah. Okay. This guy wrote all this Guild Wars stuff. Well, that stuff's good. So this will probably be good too, even though they sound nothing alike, but it's interesting to, you know, to see how you're on people's radar or not. Um, and, and, and then how I think of myself, right? Because my, my musical life, I've been doing this for a very long time. Um, but, uh, you know, th- all through my teenage years and twenties into my early thirties, I thought I was going to be a rock star. You know, I'm a guitar player. I was playing in bands, and that was the kind of music I made. And so, the so the more public facing version of me now, which is v- heavily associated with Guild Wars Two, that franchise ha- is all orchest beautiful, lush orchestral based music, and and that sound was established before I ever got involved. And so I had to kind of backfill all that and and learn how to write that kind of music, which I didn't go to school for. Um, I mean, I, I I did go to school for music, and I have a, a background in in you know training, you know ear training and harmony, and I know I know how all that stuff works, but I didn't have any composition or orchestration knowledge till I started writing music for Guild Wars. Um, and there's there's a lot of bad stuff that no one will ever hear. That's me just figuring it out. And I think only now in the ma- maybe in the last three to five years have I gotten. What I would say is confident enough to know what I'm doing, uh, and and write music without second guessing myself with every single note. But that's to me that's it's still not something I think of as a strength of mine. I love doing it, and obviously I want to do it for forever. Uh, and and I'm now comfortable with what I know how to do and and areas that I want to get better in. Uh, but it's taken me quite a long chunk of time. Um, and with this and and this thing with the synths and all this industrial stuff and being much more textural and sound design is is another aspect of music that I, that I've been doing but very quietly on my own and been waiting for an outlet for. Sometimes I think that I probably shouldn't wait. I should just make stuff and put it out there, whether people listen to it or not doesn't matter. Um, somebody will find it and hopefully the right people find it. But uh, I've been sort of acquiring all all this electronic equipment for years. It started. Um, Again, forgive me, lawyers. I think this is maybe public information. I'll be I'll be as as uh, coy about it as I can. But ArenaNet has, over time, tried to spin up uh, other projects that are not Guild Wars, right? And and some of them, you know, because especially when I was working there on staff, you just sort of get the opportunity to to experiment with music and figure out what that's going to be like for that project. They've canceled all of them, so uh, I you know I won't go into any sort of other details about them. But I think I can talk about it because none of them exist. 
But there, there were at least a couple where it made sense to have all this electronic equipment and synthesizers and keyboards and all, all the stuff that I've gotten. So I would get it and I'd mess around with it. And then the project would go away. And I'm like, well, I'm having fun. I'm not going to sell this stuff. I, you know, I want to try to make some music with it. And fortunately, the sound of what Guild Wars 2 is has shifted enough over the years that I've been able to, you know, get some more synthesizers in there. It's not electronic music, but you can figure out ways to kind of cleverly do it. In the last soundtrack, it was a lot more forward because of the setting. You know, I maybe said this in the interview back then, but it was kind of this a Korean version of Wakanda. So it was very futuristic and allowed me to use some of that stuff some more. But this was like the floodgates opened and I was finally able to get all of these ideas out and use all of this equipment that I've been uh, accumulating for years, finally. So this is like this explosion of stuff that's been in my head for a decade. Um, and I've been waiting to show people like, hey, I can do this too, you know, and without tuning my horn too much, I'm like pretty good at making a lot of different kinds of music. And this is one of them. And I would love the opportunity to do to do more stuff like this because I need that outlet so that when I go back to writing for an orchestra, I've just I've just gotten that out of my system and the orchestra now feels fresh. So I'm hoping that in the future I'll be able to move back and forth between those types of sounds um, a little bit more fluidly than I've been able to in the past. Sure. I mean, it must be kind of a occupational hazard to get a bit pigeonholed with writing known for one particular genre of music like Jason Graves who wrote the music for Dead Space. You know, everybody mm-hmm. thinks of him as a composer for horror games, but he wrote this beautiful orchestral score for Moss. So I know you guys have all these different gears in there. <laughs> so it must be, I mean, I'm sure that you hope, like like you just said, you get a chance to, to use them all. So Yeah, and it's, you know, look, uh, even saying this stuff publicly, I, I, I'm aware of how this will be perceived because it's a luxury to do this job and I'm extremely happy to do it. And I feel like, I won the lottery because I get to wake up and sh- come to this really cool place and, and, and make music every day. Um, but then like many things, you know, I've sort of got that, I've got a, a rhythm going there, not to make a musical pun, but uh, <laughs> you know, I've, I've sort of got that figured out and now, okay, well as, as a creative person, as some, if I th- want to think of myself as an artist, I have to constantly be pushing myself. And so I don't just want to do the same thing over and over again. However, there's a commercial aspect to it. So I have to pay the bills, which means, if someone's going to hire you to do the thing they know you can do, then you have to say yes, right? And so, um, you know, I, I've been working for years to try to get an opportunity like Firmament and just prove that I can do it. Not that I want to stop. I don't want to stop writing Guild Wars music. I don't want to stop writing orchestral music. I feel like all of my best work is ahead of me. I just want a little bit more variety so that I'm not constantly painting the same painting with the same colors every single day for a decade, you know? Um, yeah, for sure. But yeah, that's Happy that's li- sort of the struggle that we all face, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, happy, yeah, happy little trees. Yeah, <laughs> happy little trees, <laughs> and the reflection in the water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I just to kind of wrap up a little bit. I mean, what does it mean to you to have written a soundtrack for a cyan game? Because, I mean, to me, that would just be like, I don't know, really hiking to the top of Mount Everest. Yes, it is that for me. It it really feels like. Um, I, I I said it uh, at the beginning, but you know. I, I consider it a Mount Rushmore game and I'm sort of, I'm 40, I'll be 42 in a few months. So I'm, I'm, I was born into a world that didn't know anything before video games. They've always existed. And then I just was that perfect age to grow up along with them. So, you know, uh, I, we had an Atari, uh, like a, or a ColecoVision or something when I was really young, but you know, NES, Super NES, Genesis, PlayStation. I, it's like, I've been here for all of that and I've witnessed it all. And so, um, 
you know, Mario and Zelda obviously loom large in my childhood and my foundational memories of, of games. And yet it's Myst that was the first one that made me feel something beyond the satisfaction of beating a boss or getting to the end of a level. You know, Zelda's maybe a little closer to that and that there's a little more story than there is with Mario. But it's still just about being, you know, solving a puzzle, getting to the end of a level, beating a boss, right? And it's very formulaic. At least those old games are. And Myst was the first one where I just remember feeling complex emotions more than just an adrenaline rush of, okay, I killed that boss onto the next thing. And, uh, in, you know, again, if I think of myself as an artist or someone who um, is telling stories in this medium, and that's the ty- that type of story is the type of story that I want to tell. This complex, like, unfolding mystery that, that is has a deeper narrative to it um, and is less about adrenaline rushes uh or 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 building tension because you're in a fight that's it's it's that stuff is there's a lot of other people that do that and do it better than i do um and so this kind of thing is so squarely in my wheelhouse of what i like to play and what i like to write that doing it for the studio that is so genre defining i mean created this genre of environmental puzzle solving to the point where I was in Prague about a month ago uh, for a conference that I'd been invited to speak at. And and the organizers of the conference, Prague is a beautiful city, by the way, which you should definitely go to if you've never been, you or listeners. Sure. <laughs> uh, ama- amazing place. Um, and they took us to a couple of these sort of touristy sites to show us around the city and show it off to us, uh, the people who are visiting. And there was um, this old town hall that's right in the center of the kind of major tourist section of the city. And you can take an elevator up to the top of it and get this beautiful view of the city from up there. And the elevator shaft and the elevator itself, I mean, as soon as I walked, like, sort of crossed the threshold and saw it, I was like, nobody I was with understood this. But I'm like, hang on a second. I got to get a video of this and take a picture because I got to send this to this studio. It's like, you know, saying something is mist-like is a sort of shorthand. And when you've reached that point on a cultural level, that the thing you've done can be used as a shorthand to describe other things around you, I think that's an amazing thing that you so rarely achieve in any sort of creative field. Um, and whether or not, you know, Cyan, I hope they do, but whether or not they ever sell a game on the same level that Mist or Riven sell, it doesn't matter because they've entered that kind of public consciousness as they have such a defined thing that when you see it, you're like, ah, that's like mist. You know, when you see some rusted out industrial structure, you're like, that's like mist, you know, uh, or when you wake up on the shore of some, you know, uh, f- like lost uh, ocean or, or undiscovered, you know, b- bank of water. So whatever it's like that, that's like a mist like experience. And, and I, I know that, um, the founders of the studio, you know, Robin and Rand, um, they talked a lot about their their age. They're maybe 15 years older than me or so. So they're sort of the perfect age that when Star Wars hit, that was their thing, right? And they talk about how much of an influence that movie was and George Lucas and all that world building. And I was talking to uh, a woman who's actually there, who's uh, maybe, uh, hopefully she doesn't mind me saying this. She, it's Rand's daughter-in-law. And she's um, she's like does biz dev and some others. She sort of wears many hats there at, at Cyan. Uh, and I was talking to her and I was saying, you know, they, I read this old interview where they were talking about they wanted to be like George Lucas and like he was with Star Wars. And I was like, they did it. You know, maybe it's not, okay, Disney's going to buy it for $4 billion. But when I'm in Prague and I see a weird elevator and I think that looks like mist, that to me is, is a win as an artist that you can create something that has that much of an impression on you. So my long-winded answer to your question is yes, it, you know, to be a part, a small part of that legacy, it means so much to me. Uh, maybe one of the high watermarks of my career. In the same way that I started my career 
working on rock band games, and the first game I saw the full cycle through was the Beatles rock band. And I'm such a huge Beatles fan. And, I, and at the end of that, I remember thinking, way down on the ledger, thousands of names down on the official registry of people that are part of the Beatles legacy, there's my name. And that's something that if that's if this is the only game I make, then I, then I can die happy. And that's kind of how I feel about Firmament, which is way down on the register of maybe not quite as far down on the Beatles, but on the re- that register of people who are part of the legacy of Cyan and what they mean to the game industry and the art form as a whole. I'm in there, you know, alongside people like Robin Miller and uh, Marty O'Donnell um, and uh, Jack Wall, you know, the other people that have written music for missed games there. And there's me. Yeah, that that means a lot to me. Um, so I'm, I'm very grateful to be a part of it. Well, hey, McLean, I really, really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to totally geek out over Mist and Riven and Cyan Studios. And I really, really appreciate your time. So thank you so much. Thank you, Kate. I really appreciate being given the chance to talk to you about Firmament, um, how much I loved working on it. I loved working with the studio. I appreciate your in-depth listening and playing of the game. Um, And hopefully I'll be back again soon to talk with you about another surprising creative choice that I've made that doesn't sound anything like this or anything else I've done in the past. So uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. Thanks again. Yeah, that would be great. Hopefully it'll be sooner rather than later. (laughs) 